Episode 84 of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Omnipod. If I told you I was interviewing a guy today who had type 1 diabetes, you'd say, Hey Scott, that's great. That's why I come to this podcast. What if I told you that that gentleman also has a son who has type 1 diabetes? Then you'd be like, wow Scott, this is like double downtime for type 1 diabetes. Thank you for making the podcast. I'm sure you'd say something like that at home. But, but, let's go one farther, shall we? How about if the guy being interviewed today is Todd Hobbs? How about if he's a doctor? How about if he's worked in diabetes? How about if he has diabetes, has a son who has diabetes, and, and is the chief medical officer in North America for Novo Nordisk? I blew your mind, didn't I? Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. Now, without further ado, I give you Todd Hobbs. So, uh, yes, so this is Todd Hobbs. I'm the current chief medical officer at Nova Nordisk in the U.S., and I've been with the company around 12 years. And it is it is truly a, a job that I enjoy every day because I don't think of it as a job. I think of it as my, my life and my passion is, is around diabetes. I've been diagnosed now uh, as type 1 for over 27 years and did practice in the area of, of intensive diabetes management in Kentucky for about 10 years. And I do um, have a son now who's 12 who was diagnosed when he was age 5 with type 1. So um, it is an everyday, um, an everyday challenge, but also an everyday, um, I think, a, a good feeling that, know, that I know that I can help impact others' lives with diabetes in some way, shape, or form. So how old were I'm you? glad when, to be on. I, I, I'm, I'm really glad you came on. Thank you so much. It was, uh, it was a struggle to... Uh, some, some of them happen so easily, and some of them get rescheduled so many times, and you were definitely a reschedule. So I'm, I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. Um, what, how old were you when you were diagnosed? So I was a sophomore in college. I was 18 and, and certainly didn't think at that point I was, uh, in, I, I was invincible. I didn't think I had anything that could ever slow me down. And, and uh, sure enough, over a holiday when I was home, I... Um, was going to the bathroom a lot and didn't even put two and two together because there was no one that in my family that I knew had type 1 diabetes and went to the doctor for an actual um, a, a physical, if you will, to work a few weeks over the holiday. And they did a urine drug screen and also a urinalysis. And they looked at me and said, I think you have, I think you have diabetes. So uh, I caught it fairly early and was able to, um, to get on, on therapy pretty quickly and had a, had a pretty long honeymoon phase before I went on intensive, more intensive management in, in my college uh, years. When you were a sophomore, were you, were you declared already? Did you, were you pre-med or were you still deciding? Um, ever since I was younger, I, I thought I wanted to go into medicine and be a physician. I had friends that also the same. So I really thought that I would do that. And this, I think, really solidified the fact that I would. Then the question was what specialty, because I went through a phase where I clearly said, I don't want to take care of diabetes patients every day. That would be putting it in my face that I have diabetes. But then once I got into um, different areas of medicine and, and trying to decide, I knew I wanted to take care of children and adults and, and all, all types of disorders. So I went into family medicine. And then it was actually, I found it to be very, if you will, therapeutic, but also passionate to be able to Care with others that I had diabetes, and then my practice actually, therefore, gravitated to the fact that I had a lot of patients with diabetes, and then I went ahead and opened up a, a diabetes only, where where you had to have diabetes to be part of the clinic. Uh, so I, I did that, and, and really enjoyed it. So, are you a family practitioner, or are you an endo? 
So I'm a family practitioner, and uh, that's that was my choice in residency is again because I didn't really believe I I wanted to take care of all diabetes patients. But then when I was practicing, um, certainly intensive management of diabetes, it was including pumps and and children that were newly diagnosed, as well as type two patients who were elderly, and um, I was asked to be uh, the chairman of the medicine department at this at a regional hospital in Kentucky, and and uh, also, that's when I, was, I started up my, my diabetes practice for all ages. So I did intensive management in the hospital as well. I did consultations and drips. And I was functioning like an endo, but I was really just diabetes specific. That's really interesting. You know, I, we were, I was just talking with someone yesterday, and this sort of came up that they said, this person said they had anger with their endocrinologist because they were having issues, they couldn't get worked out, and they were sort of focusing that blame back on the endo and the person I was talking to then said, you know, they kind of figured out over time, you know, it's not it's not the endo's fault. But I, I kind of retorted and I said, you know, I think it's almost an unfair situation that endocrinologists that don't have type 1 are put in because, I mean, they're asked to talk to you for 10 minutes every three months to see some graphs, look at some data, listen to your story for a couple of minutes and try to make an adjustment to something that honestly you need to be with 24 hours a day to adjust. Do you, do you think that endos that don't have type 1 are at a disadvantage? Oh, sure. Well, I think any physician who is treating a patient with type 1 that, that doesn't have it or at least have a close family member may not really appreciate the almost every minute uh, of living with it that you're thinking about it. And uh, it is an unfortunate situation where they only have a few minutes to work with their, their see their diabetes patients and they're basically having to look at numbers and think about how they can help with the numbers and, and really as you know, you and I both know, it's not all it's about numbers. It's about, you know, how do you live with, you know, live your life with this and, and manage it. And, and it's, it's a lot more than just um, making some adjustments on a, on a graph or on a, on a set of numbers. So I think it is, a, it is an, I'll say it's an advantage if they do have type one and, and it can be a disadvantage, especially if they, if they don't really try to think of the practical side of what they're, they're talking about with the patients and how that's going to impact their lives. So how do you, um, today, how do you manage your, your diabetes? Are you using a pump or a glucose monitor or anything like that? Yes. So I've been on a pump now for, oh, let me think here, 15, 16 or more years at least. I've been on all kinds of different pumps. Um, and originally I remember thinking that I, I didn't want to go on a pump because I, I'd be attached to it and, and um, that would remind me of my diabetes. But then I found the pump was amazing compared to the, the daily injections. and then. Uh, probably now almost five years, four years or, or so at least, I've been on a sensor with the pump, and I can't imagine not having the sensor available uh, because it's made um, managing the the hour to hour, day to day changes so much easier. And um, but it's I even knowing what I know, I had had to emotionally evolve to the fact that I needed those things, and I actually saw the same exact thing with my son when he was diagnosed and. He uh, he was on shots for for a while and and was resistant to even talk about a pump. Didn't want to wear that thing, uh, but then one of his buddies at school that he knew got a pump and then immediately he came and said, "Dad, I want to go on a pump." And and then very same thing with the sensor. He didn't want to wear another thing and he already felt like he had the pump. And then went to camp and saw some kids with sensors and said, "Hey, this is pretty neat. I want to try this." So. Now, he, we're both on pumps and sensors uh, together. So It is really interesting uh, how not just kids, but anyone really, you can, you can want to do something 
and even know that you think it's going to be a good idea. But until sometimes you just need a push, you, you know, like, you know, from somewhere, somehow, somebody to say, hey, look, I have it too, or, you, you know, whatever it ends up being, so you don't feel quite as alone. It's, it's just really, I, you know, I think it's the kind of the core of, of why the, the community is so important, because it, it allows other people to see people who are probably just a couple of steps ahead of them on the same path makes things look uh, a little more reasonable and uh and yeah and, and i also think with type one as you very well know that you do get into a, you try to get into as much of a routine as possible and you get very comfortable and attached to your current system whether that be injections or whether it be a pump certain brand of pump for instance and you you get it's like your second um you know your second nature and you don't want to change that because you know that well, if I make changes to what I'm very comfortable with, it may mean that there's some adjustment that goes on or maybe it won't be as good as what I'm doing. And so there's always hesitancy, I think, in, in type ones like myself to change what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis because you get so comfortable with it. So do you still feel that way now? Or for instance, when an algorithm becomes available for your pump uh, as a you know closed loop or an artificial pancreas, do you think you'll try it? Yeah, I've already, I've already talked to... Uh, I've always already talked to my friends at Medtronic about uh, what the salt, you know, because I'm on a different brand pump, and so what I would need to do, and so that is, that is one that I, I've, I'm very um, excited, and we work very closely with JDRF and Aaron Kowalski. There, uh, in in in, I know JDRF is and him personally are excited, but we're we're excited. I'm excited about that that technology now, just as as any technology is going to be. There, there will be improvements. There will be advances. Uh, there will be different versions that come along that that are, you know, better than what's uh, probably approved now. Sure. Uh, but it's it's exciting that something we've been talking about or uh, waiting for. I have been talking about and waiting for for many years now. So no, I think see it's it finally coming it's, around. It's like seeing the sun come up after six months. I think it's just very, mm-hmm. it's just very exciting. If nothing else, even if it's not your pump right now. Or you're one of those people like for me, the, a, a higher target number is sort of a a non-starter for for me with my daughter. Like I don't want her target to be you know 140, for instance. But but at the same time, it just it's all right there now. Like it's so close and coming, and it just it feels real all of a sudden. So yeah, it's it's really exciting. Yeah, they'll, and I'm I also understand with um with these type of uh, of approvals and launches that you know we don't want to be so excited that we we're disappointed when it when it's in our hands because there will still be you know the user interface with entering entering food and carbs and there will still be times when you know things happen that you know that uh, you have a lower high that uh, that this you know this new system uh, won't be able to prevent so uh, you know we also have to be realistic about uh, how how this will be used and how practical, but certainly I think better than what we have now. Yeah. Oh, oh, I, I, I 100% agree. Yeah. I'm a very big proponent of keep moving. I, I never want my daughter to be the person who looks down at her gear one day and goes, "Wait, nobody does it like this anymore." You, you know, because yeah. Yeah. It, it's just you know, it's the technology, like you said, that that makes everything so like incredibly possible. So you know, uh, okay. Well, so all right. So you and your son. So I have one more question about you and your son, actually. So. Um, yeah. y- is there other endo issues or endocrine issues in your family line, or are you guys just the lucky two, or can you look back and see um, even other? No, like, there really isn't. It's uh, it's interesting. There's maybe a few um, hints of type two in, in some of my grandparents and their parents, but certainly nothing um, nothing autoimmune. Um, so 
yeah, you wonder wonder why, you know, why did I get this? But yeah, I had a classic virus that happened sort of fall of, you know, this time of year of my sophomore year and, you know, had a GI bug and, and got over that. And then looking back now, I realized that I was falling asleep in some of my classes early because I just thought it was boring because <laughs> it was botany. Uh, but, uh, but, um, and then at night when I was trying to stay awake and, and study, I would, you know, as a college sophomore, I'd reach for Mountain Dew or Dr. Pepper, to, you know, with some caffeine and sugar to try to keep me awake and didn't know that, in fact, this was making it worse. And uh, so, yeah, when I was, I was actually lucky, I think, that when I came home for the, the break, um, I was able to, they did a urine, t- urine screening and, and found it and I got right in with, I knew my doctor well, so got right in and, and saw him and diagnosed I, I, pretty, I have to ask, earlier. getting diagnosed in college and then basically going back to school, did you go right back or did you take a break? No, I was, um, so different times in regards to the healthcare system as, as it is now. My sugar, if I remember, was I think in the 300 range. So it wasn't some kids unfortunately diagnosed when they're, you know, maybe DKA or much higher. So really, this day and age, I probably wouldn't have even thought about being in the hospital. Um, but in that day and age, with uh, insurance and the way it was, and, and I was admitted to the hospital for more or less education. So I was there, um, I think, four days uh, overnight for four nights uh, or more during the break just to get, you know, understand diabetes. And they'd come in and talk about the diet and carb counting and all that. So I went right back. And were your parents ever... Any, uh, were your parents ever really involved? I guess not, probably, right? You were just sort of on your own, I guess, to start? Um, from a diabetes educational standpoint and learning about it, I, yeah, mostly it was me. They certainly were very, very supportive in regards to whatever I needed with, you know, at that time, meters were, you know, you had to just buy one and the test strips, they weren't, they weren't covered by insurance. And I was lucky that they were helpful there. And as, you know, as a protective mom would be every time I got a little more ketchup or something that she thought I wasn't supposed to eat. I, I heard about it. But, um, so yeah, my, my doctor at that point was one of the best things I remember him saying to me was that, you know, don't be afraid to try different foods or different situations, but just make sure you're testing your blood sugar. So you know what happens. And he said, everybody, everybody may react a little differently to potato chips than others or pizza or whatever. And he said, just um, if you don't test, then you're going to be in trouble. But if you, you know, you have a little bit of this or that, and then you test, you can see how it affects you. And probably some of the best advice I got. So I was never, I never had the, the, um, I guess the irritation or the hesitation to do the finger sticks for some reason. I, and I'm very lucky. My son also has never complained about that, which is really um, a blessing. Yeah, no kidding. Well, yeah. you know, you're, the advice you get from your doctor, it's funny, is I think about what I do on my own with my daughter and what I, what I would say to other people who would ask is that, you know, one of the main things I say all the time is, you know, you, you, sometimes you do something and it goes not the way you want it to. You think of it as a failure. I never think of it like that. I think of it as data for next time. You, you, yeah. you know, like I did this, this happened. All right, I maybe should have done more, or maybe I needed a bigger, a longer pre bolus, or something like that. I never ever think of it like you know a, a disaster. I always think of it as just well, oh, this is something for next time. Yeah, and and there's two things on that that I think are, are interesting. One is that I saw families where uh, they would be really wanting to stay on top of everything, and they would come in and they would say, 
you know, look at these numbers, and we did the same thing here as we did the day before, and we took the same dose of insulin and ate the same, and why did her sugar go so high here? <clears throat> and especially at the time, we didn't have, you know, the, the newer insulins. We had ultralente, which the insulin itself could be very unpredictable. So a lot of times I would reassure them that it's okay and you can't control all these things and, and you know, as long as you recognize them. And, and you know, that's, that's incredible. The other one is about the data, which I think is very important, is I would tell patients, it's your job simply to put the numbers down for me. It's my job as your physician to help you figure out where we can improve upon them. But if you don't give me any information, it's going to be really hard for me to help you. So, and I would see people really worried about, you know, oh, I think these numbers are too high or this or that. And I said, that's my job to help you figure out. Just, you know, your job is only to just test, put it down, you know, let me do the, the thinking in regards to, you know, how we can improve upon them. So it is just data. So once I did, did that with a lot of people, they opened up to um, not being so worried about certain numbers. It's amazing how the glucose sensing has changed things. Now, I think of our endo appointments now, honestly, as where I get my daughter's A1C done. You know, you know, we go in yeah, and yeah. I'll say, I go sure. in and I say, hey, look, she had a gross spurt back in May, but I took care of it with uh, more basils and we did some boluses overnight, you know, and, and, and sort of that sort of thing. Like I almost tell her what happened and how we fixed it. And, yeah, you know, and I can exactly. show her where it is, but I really, I think of her as the A1C lady at this point. You know, like, like it really is, it is, it's very sure. interesting. They ask you more questions or I get asked more questions that I feel like are for her other patients than they're about me anymore. It's just, it's really, sure. well, you're yeah. probably a resource for, you know, for, for her to bounce things off of in regards to that. And, you know, I don't think, unfortunately, I don't think, um, all families with a uh, type one, um, child are, are, in, are that, um, eager and, and, uh, that, uh, involved in, in some of these things. So, uh, those are the ones we want to try to help and give them the resources and information to, have them know more and be able to handle more of these things. Well, that's what this podcast is for. It's why I got started. And I can tell you, yeah. I get back, you know, the blog's been great. And my blog's been up for nine years, but I've never gotten so much uh, correspondence from people about the value that they're finding in the information as, as this. So uh, you just sharing your story will, will help somebody. Uh, but you, you're yeah, here I always, for, I always said my easiest job was when I had a patient or a family come in and say, um, I've learned about this and I, I think I need to, you know, improve or do this or that. They were, if they just had the motivation to learn about the diabetes or learn about the problem, I could, that was half the battle. I could easily get them uh, where they needed to be. It was the ones that were coming in that were resistant to changing or learning or, or figuring things out where that was the one where you had to try to motivate them to, to do this. The motivated individuals were fantastic. You can, you know, I can use my experience and, and help them get where they need to go. So that's that's the battle. Yeah, I can't tell you how much I agree with what you just said. And, and it makes me think of something that I saw this week. Uh, I saw online, it was a like a private, like Facebook group. And, um, you know, someone put up a 24 hour graph from their child that just looked, it was like the Rocky Mountains. And then yeah. they, you know, they, they wanted people to share. And before long, I noticed that the thread just seemed like, here's my bad graph too, my bad graph too. And I felt like it was more about feeling okay with the bad graph than finding answers for it. Like, like it, it's so, it can be so easy to fall into a place where you say, 
this is just what diabetes is and I'm trying really hard. So it, this must be as good as it gets instead of, instead of hopefully recognizing that, you know, it's funny. I say this sometimes and I, I hope it doesn't sound crazy to people. I find it easier to keep my daughter's blood sugar lower and stable than I do fighting with highs and lows all day. I actually think it takes less of my time and my attention. Once you learn how to get it to a spot and keep it there, it doesn't take as much effort as it does to like fight with a 350 blood sugar for five hours, for instance. Oh yeah. 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 The blood, the, the large swings are very, um, because they, they cause counter regulatory or counter changes that then on the other side of the swing, you've got to battle that, uh, coming back, either coming back from a low or coming back from a high. So absolutely much easier to try to keep things stable at any blood sugar level than it is trying to fight the swings. Yeah. It's just, it's, and, and that, that being able to find that place and stay in it, I think is so much about your, just your attitude, I guess about it. Like, you know, if you, if you had a, you know, a crazy graph and you thought to share it online with somebody, I would share it and say, Hey, can anybody tell me how to fix this? Not can anyone commiserate with me here? Like, I mean, I guess yeah. the commiseration is yeah. important sometimes, but I guess you get what I mean. So, um, but okay. So we have, we're having you on for a specific reason though. You want to talk about some books that, that Nova Nordisk has? Sure. And, and so we, along with, I'm sure many others uh, at JDRF recognize that you know, the, the books and the information available in particular for children, but newly diagnosed families, et cetera, maybe wasn't quite as specific for that, that age or that individual situation as it needed to be. And so the need was recognized. And we work with, with, worked with the JDRF over the past few years, in fact, to make sure we had number, you know, the best quality, but also the most accurate information that was correct and, and accurate but also that could be tailored to many different situations, including families that are newly diagnosed that maybe have not ever heard of even diabetes and don't know what it is, all the way up to, um, and I kind of laughed about this one, about the college-age students. I said, my, I'd like to get my college-age student to read anything, let alone a booklet. But, um, <laughs> you know, we're trying to, this day and age, it's a, you know, if you can put it on the smartphone or something. But, um, yeah, so all of those different situations. And, and as you know, um, the the needs and the conversations and the key points change as you go f through these different ages and these different situations. And so I think um, we're very happy with the, the end result and, and uh, what, what's come out of this, obviously relying on JDRF a lot for that expertise to make sure that we have the right information. And then hopefully these will be used by those uh, in many different situations. How are they available? So, uh, how are they available there? You can go online and actually from their Cornerstones for Care, uh, and you can download a copy um, to print. Um, and you can also, in doctor's offices, we're going to work with JDRF and, and our reps especially to have those available in, in doctor's offices. When do you think that'll start, The uh, seeing them in the offices? Do you have an idea? Um, when will it start in the offices? It will be, I think it's there. They should be there now. Maybe that one office doesn't have them and we can request them, uh, but they should be already equipped. Our, our um, sales force and reps should be equipped to, to drop those off. Is it, a, is it a series of titles or is it just one book? Or No, no, no. So it's a, it's a series of titles. Um, so they have, um, I'll, I'll actually read them to you. So we have newly diagnosed, which is just general diabetes. So, um, you know, basics of type one, essentially. Then we have one, which is, specifically geared for parents and caregivers, some of the considerations that, that you know, go into 
stress of it, but knowing how to recognize some of these things in your child or your family member. Then we get into the um, the age specific. So we have two to six, which highlights uh, Dot, which is your new friend, which is the blood droplet that, that will take you through the story. Uh, and then we have seven to 11, sort of the preteen or tweens, I guess, uh, uh, ages going through some of the key concerns there. That's a tough period of time. Um, for, not for me, I was actually older than that, but that's when I see a lot of families where you want your your child who has diabetes to start to do some um, some things on their own and take some uh, some maturity and and they're but you know kind of afraid to completely let them go and and it, there's a lot of that which which comes into play in those years and or you know a little bit older and then we go into the true teen years uh, 12 to 16 which talks about some of the lifestyle things at that age that they're getting into that affect their glucose, how to interact with peers, those those sort of things. And then lastly, the one I was kind of laughing about was the call, you know, going off on your own where you're truly, you know, this is independence. This is um, how you're going to have to think about your diabetes on your own. So, uh, and I do have to, I think it's a funny joke, but so my 19-year-old who does not have diabetes, but he's in college, I say, you know, yeah, if it's in a booklet, uh, you may pick it up here and there, but if you could somehow put you know, little lessons on the screen of the TV, like on ESPN Sports Center. You know, every day. I think he could the learn astrophysics if he did it that way. Yeah, <laughs> right. on the ticker. So this summer, <laughs> uh, our son Cole is a junior in high school, and this summer he was supposed to read Macbeth. And at one point, I said, "How did you enjoy Macbeth?" And he's like, "Oh, you know, I did." And everything. I said, "How were you with the, uh, you know, with the old English?" And he goes, "And oh, no, I listened to it." And I was like. Well, yeah. you, you listened to it. And I said, so you didn't read it? He goes, no, I listened to it. I said, well, how was the old English? He goes, I listened to a version that wasn't in old English. And I was like, oh, okay. So <laughs> Yeah, it's a different, <laughs> different world. I, I still read the hard copy newspaper every morning, but everybody laughs at me. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so that's really good. So you guys, so this is a collaboration with the JDRF? Yeah, it's, it is a partnership, and, um, and we, you know, we obviously have the, the resource to be able to, to – put this on our cornerstones for care site to distribute these to doctors offices and and we look to them for the obviously the content expertise in regards to all of these different topics around type one so i think it was um a really nice partnership to be able to to get the end result we have well that's great because there's you know you need good material because there a lot of times there's a lot of good intention by some of the things that, that happen. And then when you actually look at it, you think, who is this really helping? You, you, you know, like, like, and so yeah. when you see something that's actually valuable, it, it, it's even more so. So that, that's wonderful. And I will, uh, we'll get links and we'll put them in with the show notes and everything. So people can click right on them and, and go check it out. Yeah, that's great. Well, and also, even if you have the best resource that's there now, if you think about, especially in type one in four or five years, it's going to be a little bit outdated perhaps. And you have to, have to update it. So a lot of it's simply just getting with as current as you can with information because uh, it has changed. I mean, if you look in the past 10 years, there have been remarkable changes that have occurred in how we how we look at type 1 being treated. So Yeah, and having um, it digitally available like this too allows yeah. you guys to, to make adjustments to it as it works. I mean, when I threw out the book with the Pink Panther on the front of it that I never opened, I bet you the yeah. information inside of that was really old. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and, and the Pink Panther's done a great job for a long you know, many patients through the years. But it's all you know. Every every time, uh, every year, we really should think about updating and and look at what we have. Oh, certainly. So, I mean, Todd, t- listen. I you know I talk about it here, so I, I don't have a problem saying it out loud. But 
we're over three years now where my daughter's A1C is now between 5.7 and 6.2 for three years. And yeah. prior to a glucose sensor, you know, prior to an insulin pump, I struggled to keep her like under eight and a half. And I wasn't, I wasn't any less interested or, you know, inclined to, to be available. I'm, I was always with her. I've been a stay at home dad for, you know, for almost 17 years now. And so it just, but when you add that technology, it just speeds everything up. What took me two years to get comfortable with, I'm now seeing people get comfortable in less than three months. You, yeah, you, you know, yeah. and that's just, Amazing. that's such an amazing, it's such a great thing because after a couple of years, you know, we talked about it earlier, you can kind of get beaten into an idea of like, well, I guess this is just what it is. Like, I mean, I'm trying as hard as I can and nothing's working. So maybe this is what diabetes is. And, and you, you see people over and over again, say that, say, oh, here's a spike. Well, I guess this should be expected because my kid was doing this. And I think, no, my kid does that too. And you, you don't need a spike there, but without certain technologies, certain understandings that those technologies bring, it just takes so long to figure it out. And you can get you can get worn down by the time you get to the lesson, I guess. So Absolutely. Yeah, it's excellent. Yeah, and, and one of the things I would always tell families um, of newly diagnosed, but, you know, if I was seeing them in the first, even the first year, I would say that, you know, your child, the diabetes does not define your child. Um, you know, some kids are redheaded. Some kids are left-handed. Some good kids are good at math. Some kids are good at sports. You kid, Your kid has diabetes, and, and you just need to learn or... or figure out how to make that in the background, if you will. You know, you have to do a lot of thinking along the way. But it's, you know, if you struggle and stress at every one of these little blood sugar numbers that pops up, that's, you know, that's going to really wear you out at some point. But you want you and, and more importantly, your child to really, you know, define who they are outside of diabetes because it's not diabetes that makes them who they are. So um, that's, I've tried to do that for my my 12 year old now, and he's had it since five. So, you know, it's not always easy. And he's, you know, sometimes I'm not, I don't think he's paying as close of attention to, uh, to his numbers as he should, but you know, you got to think about the best way to, to work through that. And so, um, yeah, I think yeah, that's I, part I, of the age too. It. I mean, well, not that it's yep. just part of the age. I, I know people of all ages who struggle with that, with their type one. I think it's part of being human and not wanting to sure. have your nose up something constantly 24 hours a day. But somebody just asked me yesterday, like, you know, what's a great piece of starting advice for somebody? And I was like, you know, start over all the time. You know, just don't sit here at 9 a.m. worrying about what happened at 3 o'clock. You fix that. It's over. You, you, you know, you, you can't go back and beat yourself up. It's easy to say, harder to do. But uh, I think it's important to just think of it as now. You know, what's your blood sugar now? How are you going to act now? You know, so, and, and learn from the last time. Um, I, I, I noticed when I was... I guess LinkedIn stalking you that um, I don't know if that's actually a thing, but kids say whenever you look at somebody online, children consider that stalking. I don't know if you know that or not, but um, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I don't agree. I was like, I was just trying to find out about the guy. He goes, no, that's stalking. I'm like, uh, okay. So, uh, but back uh, towards the beginning of your, your time with Novo, you were involved in, in future insulin projects. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the, the insulin pipeline, because as much as we sit here and talk about artificial pancreas and glucose monitors and everything, in my mind, a, a true smart insulin makes almost everything obsolete. So is that a real thing or is that like a transporter on Star Trek? Would it just be cool and it's never going to happen? Um, I'd love to be able to tell you if I, if for certain, uh, what, you know, if it is a 
on on Star Trek or if it's actually realistic. And we're pushing forward with what you call a smart insulin. Let me let me back up just a little bit. But I do in my role now certainly work with all of our products mm-hmm. and, and development. And um, so we have certainly what we think right now is is probably the best daily uh, injectable basal insulin. And, and Dagledac or Traceba is the brand name there. But we also recognize that, you know, maybe we could get a little bit faster or a little bit um, um, quicker in the system on a, on a rapid-acting insulin, especially in, especially in regards to the technology that we, we're seeing now in insulin pumps and, and closed-loop systems, that we've talked to many individuals who say, yeah, the algorithms are really good, but you still have to anticipate the time and the food and all that, and a faster insulin there could really make a big difference in controlling the, the meals. And so we do have a faster-acting insulin aspart, which is with the FDA right now. So, you know, we are anticipating a decision really in the next couple months. So we we believe that will offer um, better management for the postprandial, post-meal period for anybody if they're on injections or, in particular, if they're on pumps or sensors. You know, it's time for an ad from Omnipod, but I haven't done this in a while. So instead of me telling you how great the Omnipod is, let me read you a note that I received recently. Hi, Scott. Thank you so much for the podcast. My type one and I went in for our quarterly appointment today. We are about 22 months into this journey. I have always gone in desperate for the doctor and the nurses to help me, to teach me, to say something. But over the summer, I really started to listen to your podcast, and I've started to exchange my fear for something else. My son and I are more empowered, making decisions on boluses and basal adjustments based on our Dexcom information. Today, A1C was 6.2 down from 7.3. The doctor looked at the information from our Omnipod and Dexcom and declared that the data looked almost like a non-diabetics. They even called in the nurses to celebrate with us. We're not perfect, we're not even close, but I'm not really scared anymore. I'm still kind of tired most of the time, but even that is getting better. Thanks for your help and encouragement. Sincerely, and I'll take out the name. This podcast exists because of Omnipod, because they're able to buy an ad on it, because you guys are going back and you're trying out the demo pods. They're staying with putting ads on the podcast, you're trying out the demo pods, it goes back and forth, and then people like this send me notes to say that their A1Cs are going down by over a point, that they're having just better luck, there's less fear, they're doing better. So for Omnipod's ad today, I'm telling them, thank you for sponsoring the Juicebox podcast. And if you'd like to support that, go to myomnipod.com forward slash demo and try a free no obligation demo pod. It supports the podcast, which supports me, which supports people like you, it's a it's a big blue happy circle of diabetes love. Myomnipod.com forward slash demo. Now, getting to your next question, um, most of diabetes, obviously by just numbers, is type two. So a lot of our um, products, naturally in the pipeline and near term, are going to be more geared to type two GLP one agents, you know, like Victoza, but also there's one semaglutide, which is a weekly injection. But we did recently announce, uh, and there was something in the Wall Street Journal, I believe, in the last couple of days, that our researchers have been working many, many years to develop what I think you, what you in your mind would think of a smart insulin, and, and an insulin that would be able to only lower the glucose when it's high or ab- not normal. That is and what I mean. Would yeah. some, somehow or another, stop uh, and not and eliminate your risk for low blood sugars. Because let's face it, if 
you know, if we if you didn't have to worry about you know the seesaw effect of of having too low blood sugars, everybody would be on insulin probably, and we would we'd increase that to uh, you know to where we needed to go, and nobody have to worry about lows, and A one Cs would be normal, and you know, it'd be a, it'd be a great thing. But that's really a challenge you know, physiologically in the body to be able to to do that. I I can't really. Uh, specifically speak to some of the ways they're looking to make this type of smart, smart insulin. But um, what I can say is that two things. One is it's challenge, very challenging, but the second is that we are having some success to where we're going to move into um, trials in real people uh, over the over the next year or so. Well, that's, um, that's still exciting. many years away, though, I'll, I'll say, and, you know, and who knows the how it's going to work and, you know, what other issues may arise, but we are, we are pursuing that. We are certainly looking at that. But, but, but the one that you talked about first, the one that you're hoping to hear back from in the FDA, I'm assuming like you're talking about like quarter four or quarter one in 2017, like that's, that's through clinical trials. That's you're, you're hoping to get a, an okay to, to go to market. The fit with the, I'm sorry, go, with the faster, the- go ahead. When you first started, yeah, no, yeah, you were talking about the faster-acting insulin, and you were saying yeah. you, you were hoping to hear back from the FDA soon in the next couple of months. Is that to go to market you're waiting to hear back? Correct. So it, it, we, we, filed the, the, um, we filed the product with FDA, and they're, they're doing their review now. So if it is approved, if they agree, uh, yes, it would be uh, launched and marketed in, you know, in the U.S. Um, we have their approval obviously it's not uh not it's not available yeah Yeah. is it does that have a a a, the uh like a first dog name my street grow up generated name or do do you guys have a name not yet (laughs) no the name is still um still being being worked out and and you know with any name of a product it's it's very complex believe it or not there's there's quite a bit that goes into it around medication safety that you know if a doctor or prescriber writes it in longhand, does it look like another medication out there? If they verbally say it, does it sound like another medication out there? Oh, that's interesting. Um, can it be confused? So there's a whole lot that goes into um, finding a suitable name for a product. And so the generic, if you will, is it's called faster acting insulin aspart. Well, well, let and, me uh, let me suggest partnering with DC Comics and going with Flash if you can. And, yeah. <laughs> If only the FDA would uh, would allow DC Comics to help us with the naming, we would we probably would do that. <laughs> so because because what you said earlier, I mean, if for people who are listening and trying to understand why that's important, you know, I was I was speculating long term with insulin that would just say, hey, your glucose is higher, and I'll work now, which is obviously kind of you know is obviously a, a long way off with current technology. But the idea of faster acting all of a sudden takes away from so many different problems. So all of a sudden remembering to pre-bolus isn't an issue anymore. Uh, having a small kid who you can't trust to eat a whole meal isn't an issue anymore. So you could give, you know, uh, a bit of insulin up, you know, when they started eating and, you know, in 10 minutes into the meal, when you realize, wow, they're really going to eat this whole thing, you could give the rest of it without there being some, you know, 20 minute head start for the food. Um, I would also think that faster acting would mean faster dissipating, which would mean probably less lows later on. Um, am I right to say that? Is yeah. That- so I'll, let me let me speak to a couple of those points. Yeah, Absolutely, we we think the the current rapid acting insulins, including Novolog, which we we make, are good. Um, but they ideally should be given fifteen minutes or so, twenty before you start the meal, and yeah. and to really be able to um, 
to stop that rise of, of you know, glucose, sugar, or after the meal. Um, and we know many patients, including myself, that's challenging. That you, if you don't know what you're going to eat, you don't know when you're going to get the table at the restaurant. If it's a toddler who um, you don't know if they're even going to eat much, um, that's just not possible. And dosing insulin after the meal is acceptable, but it's never as good as, as doing it up front. So we do think that the faster uh, onset of action w- is going to be an advantage in that situation where you can truly take it right as soon as you're starting to eat. And we have data looking at, at taking it after you start to eat by 20 minutes, and it's the same. So it's, it's doing okay there uh, 20 minutes later. Um, in regards to, I think, what you're calling, we call the tail or the, you know, how long it's around, it actually has a very similar tail um, to current, uh, current rapid acting. So as you know, a Frezza, for instance, is very fast in and is fast out. It's gone very quickly, the inhaled insulin. This one is, is around similar to that of, of um, Novolog, of Aspart, but it doesn't appear to um, increase the risk of, of lows. So it's actually very similar or the, you know, the same uh, risk of lows there. So you're going to get better meal control with not an increase in, in low blood sugar. So I think the data been, um, has been good that we, we've submitted, and, and we'll see how the FDA feels about it. I have to say I would, I would try that with my daughter when it was available. And uh, full disclosure, we don't use Novolog. So I would definitely, but I would still, I would try it immediately. You, you know, if that's, if that's the case, that's, it's a huge, sure. it's, it's significant. Even when controlling a high blood sugar, you know, you know, you know, when you, you know, when you get in that spot where like your blood sugar is 200 and you bolus and then you go, you wait, you wait, and you don't see it move, and you think, is it 200 maybe because my sight's getting old, or is it, like, you know, and then your brain starts going through those 9,000 things. If you could trust that this insulin's going to go in, and you're going to see motion, you know, in, in a pretty set amount of time, and it doesn't happen, then all of a sudden you can start, you know, you can start going through other ideas, and it just... It, it's hard to talk about all the real world applications of just it working quicker um, and how, how much help that is to a person. So that, that's really exciting. And I, I look forward to Yeah, and, and I think that if you look at the market, if you will, of diabetes products, including insulins out there, uh, many would say, well, you know, is this going to really make a big impact in type 2 patients, for instance, mm-hmm. or, you know, from the marketplace? And, and we recognize that you know, possibly really not, but it is still an, a really an unmet need for those patients, like we kind of talked about, who who this uh, faster onset is going to make a difference. You know, type ones, pumps, you know, pumps, um, closed loop systems, toddlers, you know, all those things. So we do feel like that it's the right thing to do to continue to try to develop improved insulin. Yeah, for sure. And, and there are more and more type twos are moving to insulin pumps too. So um, I would say I would. You know, I would think that would be helpful to everybody at some point or another. And, you know, I was just talking to a, a woman the other day with type 2, and she was an older woman, and she was asking me for my advice. She uh, got up in the morning, had her meal, and, you know, didn't take her insulin because her blood sugar was 77. And that just scared her too much. She's like, She said she couldn't yeah. bring herself to give herself insulin when she was 77. And then, you know, 45 minutes later, her blood sugar was 350, and now she's like, well, do I take my insulin now? Like, what do I do? And, you know, it's just, you know, she's using insulin for her meals with type 2. And I, I would think that in a situation like that, if she's 77 and really couldn't bring herself to do it, she could have waited 10 more minutes, been 100 after she ate, you know, started to eat or something like that, and then had the confidence that her blood sugar was moving up. 
and then let the I like to talk about it like the carbs and the insulin kind of having that tug of war, you know, at a, around a reasonable blood sugar. And uh, I can just say I can see a ton of applications for it. So I am very excited. I am going to uh, make a note for myself to try flash insulin when it comes to market. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm sure you guys will come up with a name that sounds less. Yeah, we, we hope. <laughs> um, well, Todd, I, I don't want to keep you any longer. It's coming up on lunchtime for you, and, and we covered everything that, that I wanted to cover. So I just let me, uh, let me say thank you for doing this and to ask you if there's anything that we didn't talk about that you would like to. No, I think, you know, the beauty of this is that I think we hit all around it, but um, education and knowledge around type 1 is the key. And, and um, like this lady you just mentioned is that hopefully now the next time she will have learned from her, her talk with you and, and about how to address that situation. And then next time won't be as, as afraid to handle that. So, you know, you, you don't do that unless you share um, stories, you share information, you share data, you share whatever uh, to help people feel more empowered and more knowledgeable and more comfortable uh, dealing with the day-to-day stuff. So this, this type of blog is fantastic and, and podcast and, um, it, it's fantastic in being able to do that. So I encourage you to, to keep it up. I appreciate that. And let me um, be encouraging back to you, you know, from all of us out here, if you could please continue to fight um, with the formulary people, uh, we would all really appreciate that. So <laughs> We have uh, no choice. Yeah. We have no choice to, but to do that. But yes, <laughs> certainly we will we'll continue that. It, it's, a, it's, it's not really something to laugh about because no. it is a, a serious issue. And, and um, it, it is, I, I unfortunately... Have, uh, have to answer questions about that on a daily basis, and it's a whole different um, healthcare landscape than it used to be even five years ago. So we're really trying to, our goal is that we do everything we can uh, to work with the payers to be able to have patients have access to the products that we make. So no, no, you certainly don't, you certainly don't make them not to sell them, I would imagine. So um, Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's hard for you know, a person like myself who I don't have trouble getting on the phone with somebody and, and loudly advocate and cursing in between my loud advocations for my daughter. But it's not that easy for everyone to make their case, to keep their argument coherent while someone on the other end is pushing back. You know, sometimes you just don't have the energy after being up all night for seven years with your kid to then, you know, take the three hours you have during the day to argue for your insulin or for your insulin pump or whatever it ends up being. And I think that the insurance companies count on that to some large degree uh, for, oh, us, sure. for us yeah. not fighting yeah. back. And, and that's why, uh, you know, we hope you guys are, are fighting back, you know, kind of on our behalf. So, um, you know, every day. Yeah, I appreciate that uh, personally. So thank you very much for coming on. I, I, I genuinely appreciate you taking the time. Great. Thanks, thank Todd. you. Have a, have a good one. You Take too. care. Thanks to Todd. Thanks to Novo Nordisk. Thanks to the JDRF. Thank you, Omnipod, for sponsoring the episode. Thanks to my mom for being my mom. Thank you to you guys for listening to the podcast. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That's all I got to say. That's it. Ooh, except for there's links to the books in the show notes. You should check that out, too. See ya.